0: Beautiful. Okay, hey, if you look up at the TV, uh, we are going to be in Isaiah 46 tonight, and if you're looking at that and you're like, but where's, where's the second number that's supposed to come after that? No, we're, we're going to be in all of Isaiah 46, okay? And that sounds like a ton. It's, it's really not that much, and so when we kind of get there tonight, you're just going to have to hold tight as I read through that. Um, but if you're new with us tonight, or if you haven't been in a couple weeks, or whatever it is, uh, we started our new series called Deal With It. Where's Julia? There was supposed to be, I know, for real, there was supposed to be an awesome stage prop to my left. And I noticed that when I stepped there, I didn't run into anything. And I said, hey, Julia, when are you going to do that? I'm going to do it on Wednesday. Don't worry about it. I didn't remind you. You're an adult. Get over it. Okay. Isaiah 46. We're spending three weeks uh, in this series called, yeah, we're in the whole chapter, brother. Uh, We're in this series called Deal With It. And we started it last week, and we'll finish it uh, not next week, but the week after, because of spring break. Um, and when we hear that term, deal with it, right, we talked about it last week, we kind of think uh, of, you know, something goes wrong, and we maybe come to somebody, and we want to talk about that, and they're like, hey, get over it, you chump. And that's kind of the, the mindset that we get when we think of the phrase, deal with it. But that's not what we're looking at. This week. Like, like, we're not looking at God, and he's like, yeah, get over your tiny little puny human life, like slaps us across the face. That's not really what we see. Instead, we're spending three weeks that we're talking about struggle and, and suffering and the tough things in life and when life gets hard and how do we tangibly enter into those situations uh, and begin to deal with that, right? That, that we, we don't want to be a people uh, that runs or tries to avoid the bad parts of life, but rather we set the precedent as followers of Jesus of a, a healthy and good way to deal with things. Okay, and so last week, Uh, We kind of talked about your role in that, right? We looked in Romans chapter 5, and we began to look at what your role is when life gets hard, right? We talked about how happiness is not really the end goal of life, that the the world has kind of sold you this lie that you're supposed to be happy all the time, and that when you're upset, then you're just uh, doing something wrong, or you can write a song about it and make your millions, or whatever, right? And we said, it's kind of what's being sold to you, but it's not true, there are plenty of unhappy, boring, monotonous struggles of life, even for followers of Jesus. Right? Like, we don't, we don't become followers of Jesus and then like, oh my, this is perfect because there's actually light shining on my face. Like, this is so, my burdens are just lifted. Right? Like, we can go n- not very far. We can go to the book of Job in the Old Testament and be like, dude, life, life can be hard. Some of you can look at your own lives and your own daily struggle or maybe some bigger sufferings in life or whatever it is uh, and go, man, like, yeah, life can get hard. Life can be frustrating. Life can be a struggle. And last week we talked about your role in that. And we said, hey, man, your role is to suffer well, to find joy in suffering because that's what God would have for us. That in the toughest parts of life, even though it makes no sense to even say it, you would find joy in it because God is, can and will do something through that. And so this week we actually want to talk about that role. We're going to talk about, me and what is God's role in my suffering? Well, that, that's kind of the question that we're going to address, is what, is what is God's role in suffering? Because I know my role, and it's to suffer well. It's to find joy in it. And last week, we kind of talked about this hope that we have. And we talked a little bit about why we can have that hope, but we want to talk about, really, what is God's role? And we're going to start with kind of this thing uh, that especially as American Christians in the South, right? Like, we are in the buckle of the Bible belt. Uh, what, what are some things that we believe about God? Because here's the deal. The, what you believe about something or someone changes the way that you respond to that something or that someone. It changes the way that you address that something or that someone. And so I think I've told this story up here before. And I don't tell very many stories of my failings because I'm afraid I'm going to be a bad influence on you. Uh, but Which... I probably am. Uh, But when I was in high school, me and my friends loved to pull practical jokes, practical pranks. uh, And one of our favorite things to do was to mess with Coach Hunt, who was my cross-country coach uh, and track coach. He coached coached the distance guys, and he lived in the neighborhood over from me. And so whenever we were like, we're so bored, which like looking back on it, like, is, is even more boring than Graham. Like, so I'm, I'm surprised I don't just burn houses down, like, for fun. Like, just walk around, like, we got to watch it burn. Get your marshmallows. Uh, but, but I remember kind of, we'd get to, like, Friday night, uh, and we would just be like, so what do you want to do? Like, well, we've already beaten this video game seven times. Like, so we got to go find something else. And so something that me and some of the other cross-country guys would do, we were like, let's, let's go mess with Coach Hunt. Uh, because what's he going to do? make us run? I think not, okay? Like, it's so great, and so we would kind of go to Coach Hunt's house, and it always never failed someone to be like, I have fireworks, and we're like, why do you just carry those on your person? Like, uh, like, I don't know, they just came back pocket, and so we would one night it was all across country guys and then kind of like the, the rumor had spread throughout the locker room that they were like, dude, these guys are just blowing up fireworks around the neighborhood. And so, so track guys came along and there were like 15 of us and we loaded up in cars and we just start circling the block and my buddy uh, drove a, a pretty nice BMW with a sunroof, which was like really great for him for like dates because he's like, hey, what's up, girl? But also for us, because when that time came, we were like, we don't have to, like, sit there on the sidewalk and be like, maybe I can land this on the porch and then have to, like, run. We've well, like, done enough of that. We don't want to do that anymore. And so we would just drive around the block and just ride right up the sunroof, like, does it land? Boom, whoa, oh, yes, yes. It was, like, one in the morning, and it was on a Thursday, and, so, and we didn't have school the next day on a Friday. And so we, we just three, four times, just boom, So good. Like even looking back, I'm like, that was a great moment of my youth. And we go and we park and there's a rule that says, hey, if you're going to light firecrackers on your coach's front porch, like you don't go back. But we had brought some rookies with us and the rookies were like, we got to go see it. And I was like, you know what? Wisdom aside, yeah, we do. And so we just start walking, and all of a sudden there's a spotlight on my back. And again, wisdom says spotlight means stop because regular civilians aren't carrying spotlights around our neighborhood. And so I go, there's a spotlight on us. Should we stop? And again, rookie from the back goes, nah, just keep walking like you didn't do anything. I'm like, we're 15 kids at one in the morning. We didn't do anything? Are you kidding me? And so all of a sudden we hear, when you feel the spotlight, you stop, and I'm like, knew it, knew it, and so, and so we stop, sit on the curb, oh, sweet mother Mary, okay, and we just line up on the curb, and all of a sudden, one cop car, two cop car, three cop, they build a perimeter, I'm like, what is gonna happen, dudes, I'm 17, I'm and they get out, guns out of their holsters and i'm like (laughs) this is much more illegal than i thought it was in hindsight like we gonna get shot okay and we're sitting there and they come out and they're like what were you guys doing tonight we're like Blowing up firecrackers is the whole story. Like, let me tell you, because you don't need those, officer. And at seven seats down, I've got a buddy of mine, uh, Scott Turner. He goes to Camp Collide with us. He works at FBC Brownwood, and and he's got an airsoft gun in his waistband. I don't know why, but it it doesn't have the orange tip, and so he just starts sweating. And he was a bigger guy, so he sweats. But no, he was sweating because out come officers with guns, and you're not like, hey, officer, just a second. Like, that's the end of your life. And so we start going through the interview process with the cops and not like to be future cops, like to be future criminals in jail. And they sit down and they go, well, how, let me see your ID. And I, I take it out and I give them my ID. And they go, oh, you're a minor. And I go, yes. Yes, I am. And they go, that means we have to call your father. And I go, I'm 25, sir. That's my fake to prove I'm 17. I'm like, oh, no. Not daddy. And I call my dad, uh, Mr. Malikian, it's one in the morning. It's bad when the cops call your house, it's bad when they call to wake your dad up. They go, uh, this is the Georgetown Police Department, we have your son with us. I'm like, well, you, he's got two sons, he's got two. Could be the older one. Uh, Lane, no, oh, now I'm done. And I hand the phone over and I go, hey dad, thought you were saying at Christians tonight. Well, I uh, was, you see. And then we left Christians to blow stuff up. And and he was like, I'll see you when you get home. And I go, I'm not coming home. (laughs) We're we're not doing that. So we go through the process. We go through all that. Uh, We don't, no no charges are pressed except for curfew laws that they have in Georgetown. And so I was like, ah, fair enough. Uh, I just have to go like six months without being arrested. I went 17 years. Can't be that hard. And so uh, I go to get in my car and I drive home and I'm all ready building up in my head. Like, I've seen my brother get yelled at a lot, and he never had the cops call the house. Murder. And it's only, like, a three-minute drive home. I, like, I'm, I live in the neighborhood over. I'm, like, doing a couple extra blocks. Like, I'm gonna take my time. <laughs> like, I'm, my phone's just blown up. Like, where are you? I'm like, thought you would have gone back to sleep. All right. Huh? So I, I drive home, and I've got this idea in my head that says, man, my dad is going to rip me limb from limb. Like, he's a little guy, but he is strong. <laughs> he's going to yell at me. There's going to be words that, like, he, you can't say in certain movies probably. Like, he's really just going to let me have it. And so I'm like, game plan. I'm just going to walk in with my keys and my cell phone, drop them on the end table, and say good night and go to bed. And so I walk in and I go, look, I know, I'm grounded for probably at least a month take my keys, take my phone, I'm going to bed, and it worked. You just surrender early. Saves you all the time. I go to bed. See, my preconceived notion uh, is kind of the phrase we'll say tonight. My preconceived notion of my dad is that I was going to get torn up, wipe the floor with, deservedly so, like one day when officers, because it'll be my kid, and so officers will call my home and say, "Uh, we've got your son here, I'm going to go, Good, I've been waiting. (laughs) I saw crazy punishment around the bin. Wake up that next morning, go down to have whatever cereal of choice that I was going to have that morning, my last meal, don't you know. And I I sit down, and the keys and the cell phone are on the counter, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh." it's a trick. It's a trap. Like your your trap sirens start going off. But see, parents, parents know. Like they don't want to take your keys, they don't want to take your cell phone, because what that means is they have to start driving you again. And parents don't want to drive you anywhere. And now that we're in like, a world where they can always get a hold of you with your cell phones, like, there was a day that if you didn't come back for hours, they just assumed you were dead and slapped you on a milk carton. And so now they're like, hey, I want you to have your cell phone so I can keep in contact with you, so that way you can lie to me and tell me where you are while you're blowing things up. And, and so he, we sit down and he goes, you are grounded, but I'm not taking your keys. You can go to practice, you can go to school, you can go to church because he's a good daddy. And and then you're coming straight home. Uh, And you can have your cell phone, but not when you're at home. Well, you don't need to be texting your ladies. You just text me and mommy as the only lady. Okay? And so, yes, sir. And he goes, and you're going to rake the whole yard. And I'm like, oh, I hate raking. Leaves are the air of my being. Let's just light a match. But see, my preconceived notion of my father said that he was just going to destroy me. It said that this is the punishment that I deserve. This is what's in front of me. And our preconceived notions, man, they decide how we handle situations. Right? When me and Haley fight, because we're not just Instagram beautiful all the time, like we, the girl can fight, uh, and so can I. And so when we fight, right, and she gets so frustrated, I build up in my head how she's going to respond. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to attack that. I'm going to take that out. And she builds up in her head, like, that stupid little boy over there. I'm about to take him out. And so we start fighting, and then they're like, oh, you thought I was going to respond like that? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I don't hate you. I'm like, well, I don't hate you either. Oh. <laughs> but our preconceived notions of us I mean they change the way that we fight as a couple. Right? Some, uh, some of you guys and the girls, some of you girls, in the room, right, when you become like interested in another person, you start to build up in your head how they're going to respond to that text message that you send at night, because you're weird and you can't talk to people in person. And you're like, look, I'm going to tell her how wonderful she is, that the sun rises and sets with her. I watched The Notebook last night. I know ten different words I didn't know before. And you, you start typing them out, and you're like, she's going to melt like puddles. But instead, She tells you you're weird and creepy, and she screenshots your text and puts it on Instagram, and now the whole school's been put on blast that you're weird and creepy, right? Like, your preconceived notion of how they would respond changes the way that you react to people. It changes the way that you talk to people. It changes the relationships that you have with people, and here's the deal. We have preconceived notions about God. Living in the Bible Belt in the South in America, I man, we have preconceived notions about God before we ever open the Bible. So here's the deal. I can talk to many of you and I say, hey, tell me about who God is. And you'll begin to tell me. I say, find it. You go, well, that's a different story. And I say, I don't, I don't know where it is. Someone told me that he was that once, and so I, so I think that that's what he is. That's why I, when I put the passage on the screen for starters, so that way I'm not the guy one day that you're like, well, this guy said this thing, and so I just trusted it as truth. No, no, this is truth. And I try to communicate it, and the thing I want to start off with tonight, and this isn't even our main point, but here's the deal. God is either who he says he is in here or he is not. There is no other variables. There is no other options. He is either sovereign creator, ruler of all, sustainer of all things, or he is not. This is either truth or it is not. So we need to start with that when we start uh, about these preconceived notions about God. Because see, some of us have some, some bad ideas about who God is. I don't know where it's come from. I don't know what it's built on, right? Maybe you're one of the people that says, you know, a good God wouldn't let bad things ever happen. It's not the God I see in here. say, a good God wouldn't let my life look like this. It's not the God I see in here. A good God would let me do whatever the heck I want with no consequences. It's not the God I see and hear. And so whatever we believe about God must be matched with whatever comes from Scripture because if what we believe about God isn't matched with Scripture, then, then we don't know God. Or we've made one up in our head. And we are confused at best. We're idolaters at worst. So we need to check our preconceived notions of the doors. Every time we open scripture, every time we study the word, because they will get in the way of who God really is. And here's the deal. When we talk about suffering and we talk about struggle and we say, what is God's role in this? Here's the deal. Some of you already know. Your brain's already working. This is God's role. This is what God's supposed to do. This is who he is in the struggle. This is who he is in suffering. And many of you are wrong. We know. Uh, we know because it's in the way that we pray. The way that we pray has to do with what we believe about God. And so we begin to pray things. And we go, well, That's not who God is. Or we begin to be like my older brother. My older brother, who I love dearly, is one of my best friends in this world, especially right now because we're super nerdy and we're playing The Legend of Zelda, and like no one else is nerding out with me like he is. And he's 30 and has a kid. We're just like, hey, you abandoned your kid yet? Yes, yes, I did. But we become like my brother. And my brother, when we were in high school, and my mom passed away, and everything got real bad, and everything got real messed up, someone who was raised in the church, brought up in the church, brought up in a Christian family, says, God couldn't allow something like this to happen, and so he must not be real. It's a, it's a bad preconceived notion about God. Deal with, bad stuff happens to people all the time. For me, I got to walk through that situation knowing God is sovereign, God is Lord, God is sustainer. He does what he wants, he does what he wills, whether I agree with it or not. He does not run his plans by me. We've got some unhealthy ideas about who God is. Thinking maybe God wants this or that for me, or God would only want this future for me, or God wants health for me and he wants money for me, neither of which are true. God's plan for you is not health and wealth. We've got some... Bad preconceived notions about God. And so we come to Isaiah. Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament. It's a pretty large book of the Old Testament, and it's prophecy. And Isaiah is a prophet to the nation of Israel, which means that he speaks for God. God commissions him to speak for him. And what Isaiah is speaking to in the context of where we're gonna be at in chapter 46 is he's telling the nation of Israel, You hey, you're God's chosen people, and he's given you this land, and God is faithful, but you're not faithful. You have abandoned God, and so like a hundred years from now, he's speaking something that's not even close. This nation of Babylon is going to come and overtake you, is going to wage war on you, and your enemies are going to take your land and exile you from it. It would be like if Weatherford just walked into Graham and was like, this is now new Weatherford, and got rid of all the red and blue and the steers, and they were like, everything's about the kangaroos, and you're like, that's a stupid mascot. But... That, that is what he's saying. He's saying you're going to be ripped from your homes. And any of you who have maybe, maybe ever moved in your life or had a friend that's moved, like that's painful, but to be ripped from your homes in an act of war and to be sent somewhere else is much more painful. It is a deeper struggle and a suffering than you will ever know in the comfort of your country. Most likely. It's a deep suffering. It's a deep pain. And he says, Guess what? God's gonna allow Babylon to come in and wipe you out. Because you have been unfaithful. And we say, Oh, God said He's gonna do what? That is not the loving and forgiving God that I know. He says, You've been unfaithful, you're gonna be disciplined. And then he keeps speaking to the future, and he says, now there are going to be some of you that are left, and there are going to be some of you that return one day, because guess what, It's not going to be for forever. You will be allowed back in to the chosen land, and where we're going to be at in chapter 46 is he's speaking past the exile, which has not happened yet, to the return of the exile. He is speaking 100 or so years down the road. And he says this to the people that will, in the future, be taken from their land and then slowly return. We'll catch this in, in, in verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you, I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift to their heads and carry it set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this. Fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please from the east I summon a bird of prey from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose what I have said that I will bring about what I have planned that I will do listen to me you stubborn hearted you who are far from righteousness I am bringing my righteousness near it is not far away and my salvation will not be delayed I will grant salvation to Zion my splendor to Israel look like God ain't being nice no one calls you stubborn hearted like you just stubborn hearted You are a rebel. No, he says, you have abandoned me, and you will suffer for it. But, because here's the response of Israel. It says, well, then you're not our God. You aren't who you said you are. You've not been faithful. And he says, oh, you stupid people. I am the same God that while you were complaining in Egypt, in captivity... Was raising up a leader called Moses that would free you from that to bring you into this land before. I'm the same God who's carried you from then to hundreds of years later, and I'm going to keep on carrying you. You cannot see the forest for the tree. I am carrying you. I will sustain you. I will do what I please. And I will not run it by you. But I am good. There is goodness found in carrying and sustaining, but what we want to see is he doesn't, he doesn't say, and by the way, just kidding, the exile's not gonna happen anymore. No, he says, struggle and suffering is coming, and here's gonna be my role in it. I will carry you and sustain you. I will still fulfill my promises. You will still be my people, and I'm gonna do better things that you can't even imagine. There is salvation for Zion. You see this, God carries us through our struggles and sufferings, not around He is not interested in helping you avoid things and getting you out of trouble. No, he says, I'm going to carry you through them. Whether your suffering is your own fault, like Israel's, in active rebellion towards God, there is consequence. Or whether your suffering is just part of life or your struggle is just part of life. I will carry you through it. I will sustain you. It may not look pretty, it may be painful, it may hurt like the devil but I will carry you. I will sustain you. He says, I, will, I, have, I am he who carried you in old age. That's not a promise to individuals. Every single one of you is going to make it to old age. That, that's not that. He's just saying, I, I will carry my people. No one can thwart my plans. My people will move on. Individuals will be lost, but my people will be moved on. They will be carried. God carries us through, not around. He will carry us. He will sustain us. We say, well, what is the salvation for Zion? See, even when Isaiah was speaking, he would have been thinking, man, I, I'm talking about a future new Israel. God will come. He will return you. He will rebuild. And, and even the people, uh, the Jewish people that are reading this are like, yes, we're going to be a powerhouse again. We're going to be a kingdom again. God's going to send a good king, and we're going to go kick some butt. Like, that's, that's the thing, and they're like, yeah, bring on the exile. We'll come back. It's not really what he's speaking to. No, God is got bigger plans. He says, yeah, there's going to be a new Israel. There's going to be salvation for Zion, but it's not going to be contained by borders. It's not going to be contained by kingdoms and politics and law. No, I'm, I'm sending a new king. And, f- and later in Isaiah, he refers to him as the sacrificial servant. He will bring justice through death, not someone else's, but his own. See, Isaiah is speaking to Jesus. This redemption in in chapter 46 that he's talking about, though Isaiah doesn't know it yet, is speaking to the future Jesus that will come, that will die, that will rise again, that will pay for even all the sin of Israel. That will pay for the past, present, and future sin of those who put their faith in him and choose to follow him. He will be faithful despite our unfaithfulness. That's what carrying through looks like, and he's going to be good to fulfill that promise on the other side of eternity. Though life may be hard and be tough and be frustrating and incredibly difficult, he's not interested in just carrying you to the other side of your finals. He's interested in carrying you to the other side of life into eternity. There will be struggle, but God will carry you through. He is in it. He is in all things. May we seek him. Ben's going to come up, and I'm going to talk about one last thing. Actually, band, don't come up yet, because I want to go to another passage quickly as we close. Uh, This speaks to Jesus in John chapter 17, and you don't have to flip there, and I'll just read it real quick. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's in the garden. He's praying. He's spending time with the Lord, and Jesus prays this for his disciples. I am coming to you now. This is Jesus talking to God. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Again, he's talking about his 12 disciples. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. It's not that they avoid things. It's not that they be removed from terrible situations. That's not my prayer. No, no my prayer is that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What we see is if God's plan was to remove you from bad situations, you would get saved and he would just beam you up to heaven. But even Jesus' prayer for the disciples is no, they will be in the world and that world hates them which means there's going to be some tough time. We say, oh, but he prays for protection, and so God wants physical protection. No, no, no. He prays for protection from the devil. He's not praying for physical protection. Most of these guys will die for their faith. He's praying that they would be protected from falling into sin and walking away from Jesus. He's praying that they not forget their first faith. Carrying and sustaining is not about physical and health and well-being. It's that we might walk with Jesus and not fall away. That we might hold tightly to him in the struggle that we would become more like him like we talked about last week. Now the band can come up. In my small group on Sunday, I teach juniors and seniors. And a lot of what we talk about in the struggle and suffering was like, well, school is awful right now, or this isn't that, right? Like we don't want to get too serious and too in-depth. And so I usually kind of take the bullet and say, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to lay down some cold, hard facts, and I'll get it there. Uh, I'll, I'll raise the level of the water so we can swim around a little bit. And I've talked about my testimony multiple times, but as a senior, right, and I tell my seniors all the time, I want the best senior year for you, but here's the reality, it's probably not going to happen. And so in my senior year, when I lost my mom to cancer, we say, man, that's hard. That was Lane's struggle, like that was Lane's suffering, is having to watch uh, his mom die, and that's not it. No, after losing my mom, it was coming home Every night. And while the rest of you, you know, you go to basketball games, you go hang out with your friends, you go to the movies, and you don't worry about what time you get home. Maybe your parents wait up for you, maybe they don't, maybe they could care less. You come back at 3 a.m., and they're just like, oh, we didn't even want you to come back. I don't know. But I went to basketball games, I left at halftime. I didn't do anything but, but, but hang out during the day because I knew when I came home, my dad would be sitting in his chair watching TV, and he'd be alone all night. And that is infinitely worse than watching anybody die. Watching a grown man suffer and struggle. I mean, that's some real suffering. And we say, where is God in that? I don't want to follow that God, but guess what? He does what he pleases, and he does not run it by me. And he carries us through Next weekend, I'll go back to Georgetown with my wife, and we'll go see some family, and I'll walk in to a new house with a dad who has a wife that he loves. They are insane people, but they love each other. And I go home to a house to a dad that falls asleep in his recliner because he can't go to bed. I go home to a house of love. And that took Years. And if God hadn't fulfilled it now or later, what I do know is this is He would have carried my family and my father to the other side of eternity, where there is no more hurt and there is no more pain He would have carried and sustained despite all the garbage of this world. Des- despite hurt, despite loss, despite struggle, despite suffering, how little it is compared to a God who does what He pleases. And so tonight, what you need to think about is this: How is it going to change the way I respond to God? Am I going to go to God with all my struggles and say, fix it, God, or you're not God? Am I going to go to God with my struggles that says, God, this is where I'm at, and I just want to see you in it? This is what I'm walking through, and I just want to see you in it. I know that you're in it. Open my eyes that I would see you in it. Maybe you're not in a struggle or a suffering right now, but it's probably coming one day, or maybe you're coming right out of it. But begin to look at those things and say, God, where are you in it? Let me see you in it. Let me see you carrying me and sustaining me. Let me see how you're making me more like Jesus in this terrible situation because I know that you are. Because that is your character. May we pray like Jesus says God. Don't take me away from it, God, but let me know how to deal with it through it. Show me where you're at. And I believe we'll be good to show you. Maybe pray to God for that knowledge this week. Maybe we don't know. That Jesus that prays in the garden, that goes to the cross, that dies and rises again. Maybe we don't know that Jesus that carries and sustains. We say, man, I want to know that Jesus. I want to walk with that Jesus. Talk with a friend. Talk with an adult in the back and say, lead me to Christ. I want to give my life to him tonight. Not so that life will be easier, but so that way there will be someone carrying me and sustaining me in all things. That's a God I can get on board with. Because that is God. Y'all stand and you worship. Love you.